and I am George. That's fine, yes. Okay, um, he is an environmental activist and renowned neuroscientist. Um, has identified and named more brain areas than anyone in history and published 57 books. Uh, let's see. So your latest book took 21 years to develop and publish. And it says here you define it as a cross between a science fiction and an eco-fiction novel. So I was poking around in some of the other stuff you've done, and it looks like you are quite the eco-activist yourself. Uh, yes, it uh, was uh, a failure in activism that uh, led me to fiction. That is, I failed to achieve uh, things I wanted to, uh, protect um, the trees and uh, uh, also the infrastructure of uh, trams in Sydney and for the introduction of light rail 30, 40 years ago and what I tried it uh, and uh, I thought that there might be a better way uh, instead of uh, working at behavior trying to stop someone for, who wants to cut a forest to try uh, to work upstream of behavior at attitude to try to convince them to want to protect the forest. And I thought if only I could come up with an idea that uh, would work and take the reader with me through the arc of the hero, I might have some outcome uh, compared to the failure I had with activism. Instead of uh, trying to block behavior, stop them from uh, cutting a tree to make them want to protect the tree. <laughs> well, that's uh, the nicest compliment anyone can give can give me. Uh, in that, uh, uh, spending having spent so much time, uh, it is nice to uh, receive a positive comment. So this this book took you twenty years to write, and you intend this to be your only fiction novel? Yes, uh, I have said what I wanted to say. And given that it took me 21 years uh, to write, uh, there isn't uh, time for another one. Uh, it it uh, had its slight moments uh, as uh, I was sitting, um, putting the final touches on it before sending it to the publisher. A friend uh, came along and she asked, how is the book going? 
I said, uh, 21 years and still haven't finished. She said, <laughs> my cousin's novel was published posthumously. I said, you are giving me hope. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so which idea occurred to you first in the novel? It actually all came uh, out of uh, one of uh, the pre-Christmas parties in one moment, the uh, basic plot. Uh, uh, a friend uh, said, uh, asked me, uh, said that if you're going to uh, Spain, you should go and see San Juan de Compostela, where the bones of St. James are buried. Uh, I thought, why not get some DNA and uh, see what the guy looks like? And then I thought, why not someone far greater? Uh, and uh, the thought of um, uh, someone finding a geneticist, finding uh, the remains of Christ, and obtaining DNA from a well-preserved brain. Uh, and then I thought that uh, I would need two uh, of um, the clones so that I could uh, show uh, how environment influences behavior uh, to be brought in different um, countries, uh, one in uh, affluent eastern suburbs of Sydney, and the other one in um, the slums of Buenos Aires. Uh, and um, as different artists would sculpt different statues from the same block of marble, different environments sculpt different characters, even in identical twins. So I had the opportunity to uh, bring in uh, psychological evidence. So the book is fiction but it is presenting facts through fiction. Interesting. I, it, uh, your publicist reached out to us to do this book, and uh, we read it, and I didn't realize all the elements that were in it before that. And I wonder if you guys knew ahead of time that um, you were having an identical twin and a surrogate read your book. <laughs> so Matt's an identical twin. Huh? He has an identical twin. Oh. And I was a surrogate All for right. another family. <laughs> so I was like, wow, we both got to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we both got something out of this. Yeah, well, at, at times, uh, a reader tells me that they found themselves in an aspect of the book, in the hero, hero of the book. But this is actually <laughs> uh, uh, more than uh, I have come across so far. <laughs> I was like, wow, we're both, it's what great. A coincidence. <laughs> what a coincidence. Yeah. <laughs> of course, they grew up together. They weren't separated at birth, but. Um, separated after high school. Yeah, separated after high school. <laughs> uh, so how did your experiences in the field of neuroscientist? Um, Neuroscience. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. It's all the running from here to the kitchen. Uh, how did uh, your experiences in the field of neuroscience and as an environmental activist forge your approach in writing your book? Uh, right. Uh, neuroscience uh, allows you to study the brain. Uh, and, and I've been doing that. I've taken a trip of uh, uh, nearly 60 years through the brain. Uh, and uh, if you ask me what would be the most surprising thing I've come across, is that the human brain has no different parts. It's made... Uh, 
in the way, in this basic structure of the chimpanzee brain, there aren't any differences uh, in the structure of the brain of the chimpanzee and us. Uh, so uh, the, the brain of the chimpanzee, of course, is much smaller, and that is why you do not uh, interview in your podcast chimpanzees. Uh, <laughs> but but uh, in fact, uh, uh, there's a humility that we could show rather than hubris. Just consider... Uh, and this had worried me for a long time. Uh, we humans think uh, that they are made in the image of God. But the evidence is that uh, certainly as it concerns the brain, we are made in the image of the chimpanzee. Uh, now, uh, it's a bigger brain, uh, uh, 1.3 kilos, uh, uh, compared to about half the size, 600 grams, of uh, the chimpanzee brain. But uh, this uh, uh, structural uh, superiority has given rise to this hubris uh, that uh, we compare ourselves to gods. The ancients uh, did not have uh, a high opinion of uh, the mortals who uh, would uh, compare themselves to gods. Um, you might have heard of Sisyphus. Uh, I was <laughs> explaining to my granddaughter of eight years of age that uh, this king of Corinth uh, was condemned by the gods to push a rock up the hill only for it to fall down again and he had to push it up again uh, because he was narcissistic, egotistical and insulting and she said like Trump and now yes and now the issue is that the human brain that what I was concerned from the beginning that is when I started studying neuroscience and human behavior and animal behavior uh, it was that uh, the human brain is not uh, well while while now uh, it is uh, in vogue to praise it, it actually has shortcomings. I mean, never since Narcissus fell in love with the reflection of his face on the river has there been such an adoration of a bodily organ as there is now of the brain, and never with as little justification. Uh, and uh, we think uh, that uh, it has unlimited powers. No, the evidence is that uh, it presents... Uh, uh, cognitive, motivational, and emotional constraints on us, much like a chimpanzee brain presents to the chimpanzee. And of course, you can see that all around with the conflicts that uh, people engage in. And if you look at uh, uh, David Attenborough's uh, movie, uh, uh, a documentary on chimpanzees, you would see similar things because we are, that's what we are. Uh, so the, uh, we need to understand that there's a huge task against. Uh, uh, that we are confronted with the task of constructing a sustainable environment. Uh, it's not a small thing. And again, I'll uh, borrow some words from my uh, granddaughter to explain to you uh, how big the challenge of the environment is. I asked her to tell me something she would do today that would not pollute the planet. She said, running I said, that's good, but if you run, you will wear out more shoes and factories will have to make more. She said, running barefoot. 
I said, that's good. But if you run, you build up your appetite and they will have to slaughter more chickens to bring them to you to the city to eat. She said, sitting in a chair. I said, that is good. But to make a chair, you have to cut a tree. Then lying on the ground naked. <laughs> it is difficult to cons construct a sustainable society. And we are working with, have a major environmental problem trying to solve it with a problematic brain. Uh, and humans think uh, that they are somehow uh, possessed by spirits of sorts. That is, they think, for example, that they have a soul, that they have free will. But if you look at it, alas, poor humans, neuroscience doesn't need the soul to understand the brain and modify behavior. Psychology lost its soul in the 1930s. Psychologists do not use the word soul. It's not required to understand behavior, to modify it for those who want to um, correct something about uh, uh, their behavior. On the other hand, they think that they are free to decide, to choose. They don't understand that they are slaves of yesterday, that they are behaving according to two and only two factors. One, the genetic endowment which they inherited from their parents, over which they have no choice, and the environmental influences on that environment, again over which they have no choice. They don't choose whether their mother, one, when they were fetuses, was smoking. They don't choose if their grandmother was taking drugs, which there seems to be some evidence uh, that um, the influence, epigenetic influences, uh, affect behavior in one or two generations later. Uh, so they have to understand, we have to understand our limitations, that we do not have free will, that uh, our consensus is manufactured, is depends where you, you were uh, born, what behavior you will display. By and large, of course, you, you have exceptions uh, that will go to the contrary. Even they, of course, if you look closely, you'll find uh, some reasons for that. That is, behavior is not uncaused. Behavior is caused. And if we understand this, in the help, helpless state we are, we might stop constructing mouse traps. We are mice constructing mouse traps, splitting the atom. This is the issue I have with the brain. I've been studying it, and I'm impressed with the problems it presents to us, which are consistent, of course, with evolution that it helped us overcome the conditions that were present then. But it's not suitable for today's environment, which the brain has uh, created. So we need to understand, know thyself, the ancient, uh, God, uh, well, it is uh, engraved on uh, the pronouns of uh, the temple of Apollo in Delphi. Know thyself. Well, we don't know our, ourselves. The fact that we uh, actually lack both, uh, at least there's no evidence that there's uh, a soul in us, uh, any ghost in us, uh, that could we possibly ra uh, rise, uh, raise us to uh, uh, higher levels, 
or that we have free will. There's no evidence for that in neuroscience. That is, most neuroscience would agree with that statement that that we are slaves of yesterday. Uh, some don't. And, of course, we don't uh, uh, adjudicate this on the basis of a vote. Uh, but just to alert you that uh, nearly all would agree that either, either there's no free will at all or it's freedom light, just some marginal capacity to influence uh, things. Uh, and if we are aware of our limitations, we might act accordingly and construct a world government that would not have wars. You don't have a war between Nevada and California. And similarly, there shouldn't be wars, especially after uh, countries more and more will be acquiring nuclear weapons uh, that would be capable of eliminating all life, or our life anyway, from Earth. Uh, and uh, at the same time, you have people who believe in the true God. There are people who believe that they want to, they want to see their God. Well, that wouldn't be beyond belief that um, uh, they would be happy to, uh, in, to take that step uh, which, again, we place ourselves at the mercy of uh, 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 chimpanzees who have just a larger brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of those themes are definitely reflected in the story. Yeah. I read an interesting, I guess, study or book uh, one time where they were discussing how um, when you see the fall of civilization, you usually see the fall of like science and reason first and then the rise of religion. Um, just in like, uh, our brains, we, of course, are not as complex as they, we think they are. And so we get to a level where we literally cannot handle the complexity that's being thrown at us. And so we just, uh, plead the fifth and go straight for like, well, I'm going to let God handle that. Um, and I wonder what your take on something like that might be. Right. Like, uh, yes. Well, um, Paul Lerlich mentioned that the, who can expect the endocument to come. The enlightenment was the time that humanity thought that they should not be following dogma. They had enough trouble with the Hundred Year War on the basis of uh, the sexual um, uh, behavior of um, King Henry VIII uh, and um, Protestants and Catholics uh, slaying one another, uh, worshipping the same God, but nonetheless just slightly different uh, interpretations of... Um, the Lord of Peace, uh, and uh, the, the at that time they said that we must listen to science. That will be our guide. But now you find a lot of people don't do that, and uh, of course uh, the indications are that the facts don't matter so much as emotion. That is, uh, you. Uh, the appeal is to emotion rather than to evidence. And that is not what the Enlightenment was. It's the opposite of the Enlightenment. And indeed, we might be sliding through that, in that. That is the erosion of democratic institutions, especially in your country, where I lived in the 1960s, and there was hope that we would convince people to uh, abandon the Vietnam War uh, and um, to... Uh, have equality between uh, the races, uh, but things unravel there, and uh, you can 
have through propaganda, uh, would, uh, the uh, uh, people believe uh, no longer. They uh, have them no, uh, non challenging, not believing what should be uh, given as scientific evidence. For example, that the, that anthropogenic uh, activity is warming up the planet, uh, and uh, the uh, the paradox that uh, everyone will take a plane and go to Europe from the U.S., but uh, they, in other words, they trust the scientists that they constructed the plane well, but they don't trust them on vaccines. But it's the same science or the environmental. Um, and problem, uh, the same uh, approach, science is fallible. Only the Pope is infallible. Uh, uh, science is fallible, uh, but it is self-correcting. And in the case uh, of uh, why uh, people will follow the preposterous rather than what is evident and what is supported by other uh, evidence produced by the same approach of science is puzzling. Yeah, maybe a matter of convenience. Uh, mm. Yes, and of course, the, uh, the, the it is convenient to keep using our cars. Uh, that's better news to our ears uh, than be told that all airplane travel should cease, at least a moratorium, until uh, a way that you don't pollute the planet. Uh, can be found, and all cars have to be put aside until, again, a car that does not pollute the planet uh, is uh, uh, found. And, of course, there are the vested interests uh, that, the, as you know, the COP28 just completed, and there you have the paradox of uh, uh, the fossil fuel industries being in charge. Uh, but this should be the opposite. They should be uh, on... Uh, the uh, accused chair, that these are the guys that are uh, warming the planet rather than running the show of how to protect the planet. They're telling you that uh, if you want to uh, uh, get uh, uh, less pollution, then you have to invest more in in transitional fluids, uh, fuels like uh, gas, which is not true. Uh, because you're just investing more in uh, in uh, fossil fuels, and of all countries, if you if you were to ask me for the greatest paradox, would be Australia, a country continent which was the first to be degraded by climate change through the uh, 2019-20 fires, and. Uh, in the wake of those fires and before the almost certain loss of all corals in the Great Barrier Reef and elsewhere, because at two degrees increase in temperature, nearly all are gone. And of course, consequence of that is the simplification of life in the oceans, because a third of life in the oceans has something to do with corals. And before the expected event that there doesn't seem to be a way to avoid a two-degree increase, we're expecting three by the end of the century, possibly four or five. The Australian government oh, is opening new mines for gas, but even the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, 
said that there should be no new mines. And Australia, who is one of the principal, if not the principal, uh, victim of climate change, is opening new mines. But it makes no sense. But of course, uh, governments will not be able to uh, overcome the propaganda, even if they wanted to, of the fossil fuel industry. Yeah, there's a lot of money there. Specifically, $28 trillion. Yeah, that's a lot of money. <laughs> in reserve. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I can see why you decided to craft a story to try to, I guess, maybe shift the culture for future generations rather than try to directly attack that kind of machine. Uh, yeah, well, my aim was... Uh, uh, not law, it was to reset religion, science, and culture. Uh, probably I'll be ignored, as most books are, but that is what's required. And the reason that I chose uh, Christ as the person to bring back rather than someone else is because the first Christians did make a big change. Uh, they took over the Roman Empire, and they were good. I would say that about uh, uh, some of the religions, the Christian religions uh, now. Uh, I mean, they, specifically, if you ask me what I would tell the, the Pope had I uh, had an audience with him, uh, I, I, I would uh, ask him, well, why is the prophylactic evil? when it can assist you in planning your family. I mean, like uh, HIV, I remember a time when HIV was florid, and the bishops, archbishops in various countries uh, of the Vatican came up with the same statement, as though they, they were reading the same thing, it must have been reading the same thing, that, uh, 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 that uh, the prophylactic uh, is not a foolproof uh, protection against HIV. Of course it's not, but, you know, it can protect 99% of the time. Uh, and they were prepared to get people sick rather than uh, go against the dogma that uh, uh, prophylactics uh, must not be used uh, for whatever reason, that the God must uh, have as many kids out of you as possible. Uh, and this results in overpopulation. And... The environmental impact equals the number of people times how much each one of us pollutes. So if you double the people, you double the impact, negative impact on the environment. If uh, you uh, double the affluence, of course, uh, the, how much each one of us pollutes, the, again, you double the impact. Uh, but one of the places where you can make gains is to assist people who uh, are... Uh, who do not want to have additional children, not to have it, them. And this is where the uh, story takes you to Argentina, uh, an unlikely country, um, given the deep religious uh, uh, fervor uh, that they have. Where, but the students, medical students, uh, are different. The, the students are often different. That they demand that Argentina works with other nations to reduce human reproduction to sustainable levels. 
and the, the there is a uprising and consequent imprisonment of one of the heroines of uh, of uh, the uh, book. Yeah. Yeah, we know all about that. We're in the rural South, North Carolina, so of uh, America, where um, reproductive rights are a big topic right now. So, <laughs> yeah, it's funny. The church has no business in the bedroom of people. Um, so your book is ecofiction, and I know there's some ecofiction out there that I've read, like Ishmael and some other books from the '60s and stuff. Um, but it's never been a very big genre. Um, what are the challenges of trying to publish in such a niche? Um, sort of thread the needle between science fiction and science fact. Uh, yes. Well, uh, the uh, challenge I had is to. Uh, make it as uh, approachable all the material I presented, uh, but uh, in uh, some ways this is the domain I was familiar with, and uh, therefore uh, speaking of the subject of my interest, which is neuroscience and uh, the environment, was easy for me. I've been teaching neuroscience and environmental psychology, uh, so. Um, that uh, allowed me to uh, present the facts that I was aware of. Uh, the challenge for me, the real challenge was uh, to uh, make the book so that each sentence carries weight, uh, that the, uh, there is uh, um, a, a way, the way the, uh, I took lessons. And, and I had a number of friends, writers, friends who stayed with me correcting me some of them spent weeks on the manuscript that's why it took so long as well uh, and uh, to uh, write something that uh, is worth reading uh, it's another thing in science you can say the thing and it doesn't uh, have to grab you to arrest you but in uh, literature uh, it's different uh, and i can tell you it's far more difficult in, <laughs> in literature. Yeah, agreed. I can imagine. Um, so do you see your story as a story of hope? The story is, uh, that is the uh, protagonist, for two of the protagonists, there is some hope. Uh, you might have noticed at the end. But for the world at, at large, the evidence I wanted to or at least the prediction I wanted to make, is that this generation is constructing the conditions for the extinction of its own progeny in a terrestrial inferno. So there is not much uh, fun in that, uh, but it is the case that increasingly, increasingly number of scientists uh, are taking. Uh, I had that worry back in the 1970s uh, and um, I, I thought that sci uh, uh, I would do my brain research and get involved in activism but not really change courses and go and uh, uh, become full uh, a, a professor of uh, environmental science uh, but then increasingly it, it, uh, we were going in the wrong direction that is in the uh, there is acceleration in the wrong direction. 
uh, even in CO2 emissions, uh, in species loss, uh, in whatever index uh, you look at. Uh, so uh, I think there is no hope at all that uh, humans, given uh, the way their brain work was, was constructed, uh, knowing something about the rat behavior, which is a gr- good facsimile of the human behavior, that's why psychologists are studying rats, by the way, uh, uh, and that we will construct a sustainable society. But at the same time, there's nothing more important than trying to construct this society. All other causes in life uh, need to be in second place compared to actually uh, sustaining uh, life uh, on earth. Yeah, I picked up on a lot of symbolism in the story, I guess the the lives of Jose and Christopher and how they kind of pass pass the torch um, from one to the other. Yes, yes. So, in the ongoing debate between nature and nurture and what it means for the future of both an individual and humanity on a larger scale, um, what are you... Obviously, you're far on the side of nature, given our discussion about chimpanzee, but do you think that nurture can help at all? Can we teach parents to guide our little baby chimpanzees to be better people? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, well put. The uh, evidence in psychology is that it is nature via nurture. They are both important. And all studies that have looked at this even in things that you might have thought were predetermined by genes, like schizophrenia. If, uh, uh, let's say, Matt is schizophrenic, the probability of his identical twin being schizophrenic is 50%. That's a huge burden, 50 times more probability than if they were unrelated. But at the same time, it is not 100%, which means that the environment also has a role to play in this. Uh, so, uh, the uh, 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 indeed, the, the, I wrote the book so that through education, uh, someone might uh, become sensitized to uh, the environment. So, of course, I believe in, um, all psychologists do, uh, in environmental influences. In fact, when we say that we are slaves of yesterday, look uh, at this, Rachel and Matt. Uh, the psychologists are so clever, they discovered that today is tomorrow's yesterday. <laughs> and they take the person today who has a problem a bereavement, uh, something. And they work on them, and tomorrow, under similar circumstances, their response would be uh, different. Uh, So, of course, we have predilections, uh, genetic, uh, which we share with the rats. You should see avarice in rats, in case you think humans show avarice. Rats, they'll stuff their room with... uh, pellets of food, and they can't get into her, their room. Uh, uh, so uh, we have predilections uh, we, which served as well for the time they will, the brain evolved. Uh, 
Now the brain hasn't changed in the last 100,000 years, probably significantly it hasn't changed. And yet we find ourselves with quite a different environment where if you take everything that you can take, then you will actually damage the commons. Uh, uh, so there are envir uh, the environment plays a major role. Uh, and all psychologists uh, consider that and they become the environment of the subject of the patient when they work with them. Uh, have you heard of uh, John Verveke? Uh, he's a cognitive scientist at the University of Toronto. Um, he's been doing a lot of work on how do we develop a culture that's sustainable. Um, yeah, I have been. Uh, he wrote, he yeah. did a, a long lecture series that's up on YouTube called Awakening from the Meaning Crisis. Yeah. And th there's a lot of... Um, it, it resonates with a lot of what you've been saying here and what was in the book. Right. Yeah. Um, I've, I've listened to this 50 hour lecture series uh -huh. like four or five times. <laughs> uh, yeah. and it's been very informative for me, um, uh, for a lot of things. Yeah. No, no. But, uh, there, so there are other people, I think, yeah. doing a lot of work along the same lines of what, you've been discussing. So there's maybe a little more hope um, <laughs> than you may have experienced yeah. on your own. Well, I would call it a hope, Matt, if I saw the graph going in the correct direction. At the moment, it is accelerating in the wrong direction. Even the CO2 mm -hmm. emissions that we have promised to bring them down to zero uh, by whatever, which would be too late anyway, the uh, 2050, but even that is actually accelerating, not just simply having the same uh, 33 uh, gigatons of CO2 annually, but even more. <laughs> so I would be, uh, I'm evidence-based. I look at evidence. Right, right. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking more on the, the culture shift momentum, uh, not necessarily the environmental effects. That's definitely a lot farther along. Yeah. Well, that's right. And if you have uh, half the people believe in something, you can actually have a quick change in uh, mm -hmm. what you want. That's true. So you write in your book, you have a lot of different locations. Our characters travel around quite a bit. Um, did you try to stick to places you had been to or how did your travels inform your book? Uh, yeah, some of the places I had visited prior to... Uh, commencing the book, uh, but all of them I visited uh, uh, also uh, afterwards uh, during the book uh, because uh, it, uh, you can actually write something that is authentic if you are there experiencing it. Uh, and one of the loveliest experiences I have had is learning tango in Argentina. Uh, and uh, my, uh, you asked for my next book. If I can quote one of the heroes in the book, in, in this book, he said uh, his next book was going to be how to learn tango in less than 25 years. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, uh, and it is uh, magic to be in uh, the Amazon, uh, sticky and difficult too, but, but also magic. Uh, uh, and uh, it is always is always inspiring to be in the places that uh, Christ um, 
suffered uh, in the Golgotha, in the top of the hill there. Uh, even for an atheist like me, uh, it, it, it was um, a, a pleasant aspect of uh, the book to actually visit uh, these places. So do you fall in the same line as our our first heroine in the book where she both believes that Christ is a great man but doesn't believe in Christ's divinity? Yeah, that's right. In fact, the only person who would uh, uh, dare think of cloning Christ would be an atheist uh, or non-Christian anyway. That's fair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> um, so thank you for spending time with us today. Well, it has been. Hopefully, we're a not keeping pleasure, you from anything uh, fun, Rachel and Matt. And if I can wish to your audience that, uh, well, uh, yeah, to have a nice time, but but to also to wish them uh, that their brain shrinks less than expected for their age. <laughs> that's a good. That's a good one. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Actually, one of the best. Uh, Best wishes for well-being. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Our brain will shrink, but uh, yeah. uh, if we exercise, that uh, is walk, run, swim, uh, uh, row, cycle, uh, then uh, we can delay it, uh, the shrinkage and the consequent uh, dementia. Yeah. I saw you were a candidate for the Australian cyclist party at one That's point. That's right. I told the, uh, those who listened to me that if for nothing else, if not for improving the cities, if not for uh, uh, improving the air quality that we breathe, if not for world uh, reduction of uh, CO2 emissions, at least do it so that we postpone our dementias. Yeah, I definitely keep up an exercise regimen. <laughs> So that I'll be able to uh, keep throwing my kids around for yeah. <laughs> a longer as they get older. Uh, but then also, I, I want to keep it yeah. into an older age. Yes, exactly. exactly. So uh, on your Wikipedia article, it says you have the 14th out of the top 100 most cited of all time books. The Rat Brain and Stereotaxic Coordinates, which we did notice you worked into your book as well. <laughs> that goes oh, oh that one that's the one here <laughs> yeah, yeah. so when you when you guys were writing that all those many years ago did you imagine it would be as uh, influential as it has become well we were initially knocked down by uh, all uh, the people who approached to do the book even the University of New South Wales Press uh, where I'm working here at the university uh, but eventually we found one a local uh, outfit of academic press who agreed to do it we were convinced that we had something good in our hands uh, and we thought that it has to be good uh, but yeah to to reach as it did for 30 years it was the third most frequently cited book in all of science um, after molecular cloning and the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, we couldn't have dreamt that. Uh, uh, and, uh, you know, for the scientists, it's not uh, what uh, the public at large thinks, it's what other scientists think. 
And they throw right. you a flower if they cite your work. They said, according to this guy, <laughs> this is what should be there. <laughs> yeah. Fun. Were you a postdoc when you were doing that, or did you do that after you after, started your... Uh, after, it was after. Uh, 10 years uh, after I have had my academic uh, position. I really uh, found... I stumbled. I was not an anatomist. Uh, I was a psychologist, but I was working with the brain of the rat, and uh, I found a stain. I just uh, uh, bumped onto a stain when I was on a sabbatical at Cambridge that showed the brain better than any other thing, and I thought if I use this stain then I will be able to produce a better map of the rat brain initially, and eventually, of course, I thought of other brains. Uh, and uh, uh, it was the, the time that someone gave an inspiring talk I listened to. He said, the gain in the brain is mainly in the stain. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, Neuroscience joke. <laughs> and I... Uh, use that stain uh, to get uh, uh, far greater accuracy that, than what people were able to obtain uh, until the, uh, uh, that time. Uh, and uh, the, uh, doing it, of course, on the rat, it begs the question, why not someone else, the human, right, the other species? And so we've, mm -hmm. uh, we've kept doing uh, maps of the brain and uh, we found a lot of similarities, as mentioned before, between, well, certainly across primates, uh, which means monkeys, uh, chimpanzees, humans, but also with the rat, but not as many, of course, with the rat. So if anyone is interested in finding your book, where's the best place to go? Uh, possibly uh, Amazon uh, and uh, um, uh, Barnes & Noble, uh, Okay. And uh, if they write to me, they I'll send them a, a, a free audio version of the book, huh. a free one. Nice. Uh, and uh, they can find my email. It's not difficult. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, just uh, some quick internet searching. I saw it on your personal website, your academic website, uh, your LinkedIn page. <laughs> yes. I can put in our show notes too. I just want to make sure people can find you if they want to. So are you staying in town for the holiday? Yes. Uh, my, uh, my daughter's family lives with me, and my son's family is not far, so I'll be uh, with them. Uh, nice. Yeah. That's a lovely way to spend the holiday. Yeah, it's nice to be you know, close to family. Yeah. Uh, that's one of the reasons we're, where we are, is to be close to family. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, that, that is right. Uh, it's, it's such a pleasure to see, uh, it's too early for you, but for me to see uh, grandchildren, interact with them, and some of them actually uh, will present to you a different uh, view of, uh, than what you thought uh, was the case. Yeah. <laughs> I'm uh, and, already surprised uh, by our own uh, children. Friends, of course, here in Australia, <laughs> especially, we have a lot of parties. So like last night, uh, I had uh, 54 people in my house discussing how to construct a sustainable society, by the way. Mm -hmm. mm. Good right. light, light yeah. party banter. <laughs> <laughs> a good way to spend your time, definitely. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, George, for coming and talking to us today. 
Thank you for your interest. I appreciate I'm, it. Uh, impressed that you both uh, read the, the book. You could easily have allotted it to one of you, <laughs> but you both. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, we like to do it together because uh, we usually discuss as we're reading. So mm-hmm. I feel like yeah. you know, it's uh, that uh, way. from my end, if by chance you find uh, 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 another of your uh, uh, brethren. Uh, uh, podcasters who might want to have me on their show I want the book to be heard of um, and I would be appreciative if um, you let me know you or you let them know and give, give Certainly. them my email yeah. if they want to approach me mm-hmm. I th- absolutely yeah. yeah I thought we did well I'm glad that of the things you, you asked me Sometimes the strangest things are the most beautiful, too. So be who you are and love what you love. Until next time, friends. Bye. Bye.